for every child dinner table conversations are very very important what are they hearing their parents talk about 30 second conversation wasn't the big drawn out drama it was 30 seconds most of those startups uh, land up selling those businesses so now tell me about the inception of white light food the company and then the name <laughs> he's actually trying to catch me on camera because we spoke about this off camera <laughs> Hey everyone, uh, welcome back to Breaking the Ceiling. Today I'm going to be talking to somebody very interesting. Uh, she's had two failures, bounce back from that. She comes from a legacy family. She's uh, studied multiple different things. She's a gemologist, but now she's achieved success in a very very different field than diamonds, clothing industry, and uh, she is now the founder of White Light Foods. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much Ashwin. It's a pleasure. Uh my first question to you is you've come from a legacy family on both sides before marriage after marriage. Is that been to your advantage or are there any disadvantages of coming from a legacy family? I think it's got its pros and cons both. However, uh we'll try to look at the brighter side of things. Of course having been into legacy family businesses i feel for every child dinner table conversations are very very important what are they hearing their parents talk about when i was a kid and i was growing up my father was just starting out he was making it there by the time i grew up i was in my teens he had seen that curve even now so there are constructive conversations there are things that you hear sometimes that you understand that you don't understand also i believe that genes play a very important role when it comes to having that risk taking ability to be a entrepreneur mm. uh, uh, my father was actually telling me that back in the days there were only two or three segments of the society that were the business owners the rest were service providers or professionals and the marwadi gujarati clan was what was known to actually set up businesses or business houses he always says that the genetic legacy of uh, being an entrepreneur that is passed on to us will always play a good role not just uh, in having the experience around us but also in believing that we can take those risks in working hard enough to see uh, the end of the tunnel and also have that back end support because a lot of startups today that i know have come out of people who have never seen a business background most of those startups uh, land up selling those businesses because they cannot see the entire curve and uh, they want a quick exit they want quick money out of it i feel that is one more advantage of uh, being born into legacy family family businesses where we are taught to have that holding capacity and to be able to see the whole gambit of those 10 15 20 years and make it into a full fledged business that we can pass on to our next generation also we grow businesses in the mind frame of not shutting it or not getting a valuation and shutting it i when i started my business when my business grows well i take my daughters to work when their holidays are there and uh, i can already see that cloud in my head that nay nay future mein ja ke my daughter might also want to sit in this business will this business be 
uh, cushionable for, to absorb her into it so that's that's the thought process that we come from but yes coming to the cons of uh, it sometimes the system becomes so big that it takes over the person <clears throat> the next generation does not feel uh, valid enough as an individual into the system because the system has become big enough there is a generation gap uh, there is a change in hands there is a change in power power struggle is the biggest um, destructor in uh, family businesses where uh, the father themselves uh, go through a struggle to pass on businesses or the reins to their sons or daughters or daughter-in-laws whoever that it is so at some point of time i feel personal growth gets hampered as uh, a business owner as an entrepreneur as a risk taker you don't realize what your efficiencies and inefficiencies are that is exactly what i went through when i was working in my family business for those 5 6 7 years where i felt i was an amazing entrepreneur because all my inefficiencies were cushioned and they were absorbed by the system but all my victories were glorified so when you break out from there and you start on your own then the reality hits you that okay fine you know these are your strong points these are your not strong points i remember i had i think in all of those years i had not gone and opened a bank account by myself you know something as simple as that something as simple as applying for a gst number or getting a company incorporated or getting a trademark done even simple admin related jobs is something that i had not done i was given a nice seat a very good looking cabin and said ki madam you sit out here so yes i uh, biggest con is personal growth where you yourself at times don't understand your potential either you don't grow well or either you might be able to do bigger things but you are constricted by the system because the system has grown up to a certain level and your decisions cannot jeopardize that it can't put it into risk so <clears throat> yeah so uh, i also come from a family business I worked in it for six months. I very quickly realized that your name is never going to be as as big or bigger than your parents or the legacy that they have created. And uh, my father's always taught me this concept of the sun and the moon, right? That the sun gives out light, the moon only reflects light. So when I had to leave my family business, that's literally the one line I told him. Thirty second conversation wasn't a big drawn out drama. It was thirty seconds where I just told him, I don't think I'll ever be the sun in this company. And he understood exactly what I meant. and that was it and i could i i moved out and i started uh, equinox and many other companies after but i think a con that also is that that comes in a family business is expectations from other people that oh you already at this level so you must go that much higher and they expect a lot more out of you whether you are capable or not is a separate story altogether they don't even look at that it's just that expectation is set and as you very correctly said uh, because that infra was around you could do other things without knowing how some of the basics work like bank i don't think i've ever entered a bank i've never opened a bank account right so those were like when you're in a family business you don't even know how to do it like even if they say okay if you have a need to do it it's you're like a baby you don't know where who what form kya hai kahan bharna hai right so the i i completely understand uh, now tell me a journey till before white light till before white lights So I know you started as uh, as a gemologist. You were trained as a gemologist. Yeah, my father is a is into the diamond industry, and um, my elder brother, he was uh, getting trained in gemology and diamond grading. 
So at that point of time, I thought that even I am supposed to follow uh, the footsteps and I will be joining my father's business. Hence, uh, went ahead and uh, got trained as a gemologist, as a diamond grader. And uh, then went in and uh, did my CAD cams for jewelry designing, etc. Though I was never creative as a person, but I just thought that let me go ahead and do it today. Also, I'm like creative streak is quite less in me, but I was trying to push myself at that time. However, um, uh, the turn of events happened such that I got to know and realized it after I finished all of these things that uh, in our kind of family setups, our uh, lifespan uh, uh, in our father's businesses is a little short-lived. So, <laughs> um, so yes, and of course, I got married also at a very young age. Uh, I was 21 when I got married. I take that as a big plus now. Phases of life get done a little earlier. 12 standard I crossed when I was 10 years old only, you know, it's just like sort of something like that. So I uh, did my post-graduation after I got married and uh, started working in our family business. There was where my real learning started. Uh, my father-in-law's elder brother, Mr. Ramesh Podar, was my mentor. And uh, him and my father-in-law, my husband, uh, everybody kind of removed me from that mindset of belonging to a smaller setup. Diamond industries are set up in very lean management systems. Mm -hmm. And however big the company grows, the industry is such where the setups are in the hands of a few people, mm -hmm. predominantly the people who are running the show or, or different family members. Again, because it is a high value item, we'll come to that churning process a little <laughs> sure. later but uh, I got put into this corporate setup uh, at 21 22 uh, where my only claim to fame was having the last name because I got married into the system apart from that there was no other credibility for which I was put out there but then you want to prove yourself you want to get into the system again your genes are strong enough to tell you to push through that layers of hierarchy and find your calling. I always feel I'm a people's person and hence the retail side of the business kind of excited and attracted me. I was there for around six years and uh, my main job was to open franchises for the brand retail franchisees, EBOs, exclusive brand outlets in tier two and tier three cities. That's where the entire journey started out. And one fine day I realized that this is not what I want to be doing. Uh, I want to uh, break the ceiling and uh, get out of the very comfortable spot that I was in. Also because I had started feeling that I was doing very well for myself. And somewhere intuitively I thought that this is not what reality is all about. Family businesses, uh, especially uh, large family businesses, can have uh, a lot of dynamics in them uh, wherein you are constrained by the system, by the levels in the family that are there. And again, like I always say, uh, being a daughter-in-law in the family gives you a lot of holidays in your workspace where you are not accountable, but you are also not accountable for the real things because of our uh, the way Indian families are set up. Um, kids, home, always uh, a multitasking front that is there. 
I feel uh, privileged women like me who are born into families where we don't have to fend for ourselves and are put into family businesses will never be able to recognize their true potential until and unless they make themselves accountable, get out of that comfort zone and start doing something of their own. It is especially very important for this niche segment of ours where accountability and responsibility from our ends is very, very less. I recently met somebody, uh, this nice networking person uh, who told me, he's like, why do you need to work? You know, why are you working? Why are you doing this hustle? Mm -hmm. like, why are you struggling? So I said, why, why wouldn't I like, what, what is your base reason of saying this? He said, well, come on now, you're married into this nice big family and uh, you have all the money to spend. Uh, you should be seen more at social events, you know, you should socialize wow. more, you should know people around you, you know, the, the this and the that. I just have two simple theories. Number one, if I get married into a family, just inheriting their money is not the end aim. I mean, I'm not inheriting my family's uh, diseases. <laughs> <laughs> so how do I just make sure that the entire oh this house is mine and this car is mine and everything i'm entitled to is is mine and base theory is what do i want to do with that money either i can use that money to show people that i have more money or either i can use that money to make more money <laughs> so do uh for for people like us i definitely feel that if there has to be personal evolvement that has to happen from the completely fake world that is there and weaved around us uh, where our last names uh, define us totally we will have to walk out of that comfort zone and i think that takes a lot of courage it's not it's not easy at all right because you're used to a level of luxury used to not being held accountable as you correctly said for anything when you start your own business completely by yourself. There's so much stress on you, so much pressure on you. Now you have teammates, you have employees, you have vendors, you have to do marketing, you have to do sales, you have to do inventory, you have to do finances. It puts a lot of stress, which otherwise you don't have to undergo. And as people would say, like logically from outside world, it'd be like, why do you need to work? You have all the money. You yeah, know, sim simple your next question. five generations, 10 generations taken care of. Why do you want to work? Right. But I think what people forget to see is that the person may want to have a larger impact. The person doesn't only want to be known as, oh, I'm the one who married into a family and inherited it and that's my identity. While there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with having an ambition which is outside that, right? Yes. So big kudos to you. So uh, tell me about your first startup. Uh, touchy topic, but <laughs> we will go to it. Uh, like I said, because I was handling franchising for CRMs and I had been to most of the tier two and tier three cities, I thought that I can franchise any product or be in any industry. Uh, one of my major pain points of working in the textile industry used to be stock rotation and dead stocks. I don't know, it used to just suck the energy out of me. So I decided that I'm going to be getting into an industry which uh, works on negative stock. And that could only be possible with the perishable industry, which is the food industry. Mm. I took the same channels and the same routes that I used to employ back in CRMs and was uh, able to form a QSR chain by the name of Purple Walk. 
and uh, in the first one year we opened around 30 franchises in wow. tier 2 and tier 3 cities but what i did not know and what i didn't understand that every industry has its own nuances you have to have the relevant experience with you service industry in its own is one of the most toughest industries to be in and i was not equipped and experienced enough to be able to handhold the franchisee to make money at his end, <laughs> even if I was making money at my end. So Ooh. that was the biggest gap that was there. Starting off a business and sustaining the business are two very different aspects. Very true. So in that first one year, even though the start of the business was great, and out here, people around me were like, oh my God, you're doing such a good job. But I knew the base reality of what was happening at that war front where that person who had invested X amount of money into my business was not being able to reap the benefits of it. So it was an Asian walk QSR chain, quick service restaurant chain. And uh, even though we did get a fair amount of promotion and marketing and uh, nascent brand building done in the cities that we opened up, but sustaining that model was very, very difficult. Thankfully, COVID hit. And... <laughs> I could blame it on COVID that that is the reason why the venture did not work. Wherein the reason why the venture did not work was purely because of me and my short-sightedness that you jump into an industry without knowing anything about it. I mean, neither am I a trained chef, neither am I a food technologist, neither have I have had any experience in the food industry whatsoever and no experience in my personal house kitchen also. <laughs> Because before I could learn cooking, I was married off. So there was no reaction time, right? And it's not an area of uh, my interest or expertise. So uh, jumping into it was, I don't know what it was, but call it divine calling because today we have um, a venture which is doing well for us. And, and it is in food. And it is and in it food. And it is in food. And it is in food, yes. So anytime there's a failure, I always get very excited about, I knew it would make you uncomfortable when I asked you about it. But the reason I wanted you to talk about this is because uh, people learn, can learn so much from their failures. I have been studying entrepreneurs for over a decade. I've interacted with thousands of them. I've interviewed, uh, I mean, all my people, uh, all my people I've interviewed have been entrepreneurs. Uh, people who have failed, whenever they start the second, third or fourth time, they do way better than if they started that third or fourth business the first time around, they would have made the same mistakes that they did make. So I personally have over six failed businesses and I'm very proud of it. I don't hide it. I normally, the way I introduce myself is I'll be like, hey, I'm Ashwin, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've started 15 businesses. I have shut down six. Then I'll talk about the soul. Then I'll talk about the run, right? Because each and every failure has taught me so many things, which if I didn't learn, I probably wouldn't be able to build scalable businesses, right? Because sure. unless you don't go through that reality, you don't understand those nuances. See, one is you're very, very smart and you're foreseeing everything. Or you're... You seldom happens though. Very, very seldom that it happens. Because even the reality keeps changing. The reality, you know, today, like for example, today versus five years ago. Very, yeah, very different. different. Yeah, yeah. Right? Your entire ground has shifted. The technologies are different. What is accessible to people is different. People's wants, needs are different. Pandemic has changed so many things. Oh, a lot, yeah. So now tell me about the inception of White Light Food. The company and then the name. <laughs> He's actually trying to catch me on camera because we spoke about this off camera. But just for you, I will go through this. Um, 
so yes like we were saying the pandemic hit and uh, i realized that the cost of shutting down purple walk would be far lesser than running it i was not being able to sustain the business and however depressive that it was i was in my room for 20 days at that time i oh was very God. very stuck by depression i just couldn't believe that this girl who had done such nice things in the family business had like bombed bombed <laughs> down and i couldn't even tell anybody about it because ego was just mm. too heavy so i told everyone pandemic has happened and that's why we are shutting everything out our central kitchen is based out of mumbai and uh, we had around for the wok qsr chain we used to have the base sauces and gravies made out here and transported to all the franchisees in different locations so i had some 200 300 kgs of sauce stock left also uh, being uh, the person who does not like to leave her people i definitely feel that people are the biggest resource and the biggest advantage to any business i think they can make or break a business and this was one of my biggest learnings that i learned from my first failure was that even if i am not an expert in the particular industry that i am entering i will have that base knowledge to be able to guide the people around me to make better systems and to run the business in a better manner but that person who i am employing has to have far superior knowledge in his field than what i have because i cannot be having the knowledge in each and every aspect of the business but to to be able to guide them to be able to handhold them and to be able to run the system in a holistic manner i need to have that certain base knowledge which is there so yeah coming back we had around 200 300 kgs of sauce left and my entire team also that was there with me it was gnawing to me every single day what do i do and how do i go about it so one fine night at about 3 or 4 in the night i was sitting and having a drink alone in my balcony a little inebriated in my frame of mind and finally decide that okay i'm going to sell these sauces on whatsapp i'm going to uh package these sauces in 200 250 gram pouches that time pandemic was there my building was sealed at that time there were certain uh, number of covid cases that were there so i couldn't even go into the market to uh, get the sauces bottled so we had taken those sealing machines and we had packed those uh, pouches and uh, suddenly uh, my balcony has this white color light <laughs> so in my state i was just staring into the ceiling like where have i come and what am i doing and i said okay white light you know it was like this heaven's calling that was there i think this is the best naming story i have ever heard white light i have never said this on camera i know that's why i, I wanted always, to make you i wanted I've to bring this up i always told people people have asked me so many times that white light you know this is not the name of a food venture i like because i'm very spiritual i believe in the a uh, purity of white light it cleanses it's unadulterated while all that is true no, this no, is no that is true that is a brand philosophy hello that of is what course. we stand for of i completely course. agree to it but in all honesty the name was because i was in a zone and i had completely given up on any kind of entrepreneurial journey and i was staring at that white color light in my balcony <laughs> and hence the name came Brilliant. but 
sometimes you stumble upon great things by chance. Hundred percent, absolutely. So I, I I love the name. It's a unique name. It's got a nice ring to it. Mm-hmm. It rhymes also white light. Mm-hmm. So it's it's easy to remember. Mm-hmm. The next uh, next day, <clears throat> uh, I just formed a basic WhatsApp message on my phone. Design the logo on my phone only. That's the reason why our logo is black and white, and it is still the same with no amount of uh, any mm. gambits or graphic designing done to it because I had designed it on my phone, and uh, everybody resonated with it. So I've still kept it Brilliant. like that. Brilliant. Uh, I remember I'd taken some W from some Shutterstock image and tried to change it a little bit onto my phone apps. Nice. The next day, I just uh, forwarded that one message on WhatsApp, and that's where it started from. I think the pandemic may have been an accelerating factor because 100%. when you're trying, I mean, that time people were experimenting with new things. People wanted sauces made because nobody wanted to sit and cook. This maybe three years before probably wouldn't have been as successful as quickly in the pandemic. So sometimes. Bad things happen at the right time, which become great things. Like shutting yeah. down would have been a bad thing, but it happened at the right time. Yeah, yeah. You took it in the right spirit, and you're able to turn it around. Fantastic. So from sauces, now what else are you doing in that? So sauces, we started out, of course, like we know the pandemic was on. People were confined at their homes, so we set up a home marketing system and a logistic system where we were only doing direct home deliveries. Mm-hmm. Then uh, came the demand for uh, high-end frozen Asian foods. Like we started out with dim sums first, which did extremely well, and uh, we then increased our range into all Asian, ready to eat, ready to cook, and sauces mm-hmm. for B two C. Once B two C took off and the pandemic kind of relaxed a little bit, we started going up and placing our product onto retail shelves, e-commerce, and uh, modern trade as well, general trade. And along with that, then came uh, my need of the hour in the business to have one arm of the business, which is a cash cow, to be able to sustain the building of the retail brand of white light because as we all know that's a longer process it has to have patience and it takes a lot of funds a lot of resources to be able to build a consumer fmcg brand if i would like to call it you that you have to survive that time yes you have to see it you can't have any shortcuts out there it's not like okay i'm going to invest x amount of money into this one year you have to penetrate into the market a little organically however inorganic your growth might be so in order to create that cash cow uh, most of the five stars in india were only outsourcing their indian and italian needs from outside Asian was something predominantly that was only made fresh on the walks. And after the pandemic, most of the five stars saw a leaner management system. They did not want to invest in specially trained manpower. And also, if we see statistically, if even if an, a common person sees around them, 80% of the F&B places around us that have opened have opened up in the Asian cuisine space. Asian has taken over Italian, which was 15 years back. Earlier, it was about the entire Italian cuisine that would make uh, for an elevated palate. Mm -hmm. Now it's about Asian, which is there. But most of the five stars, I realized, were struggling with this aspect. Hence, we went and plugged ourselves in the niche. Today, uh, around 40 to 50 five-star establishments outsource their entire Asian needs to us right from servicing their buffets to their a la carte banquets 
and room service. Lovely. So that's a big cash cow of the business because there is no RTV, there's no return to vendor. It's a pure sale and there's zero wastage. The efficiency back at our end is 100% utilized. Brilliant. So when you go online, what challenges did you face? Online as in? Uh, you started selling on e-commerce? Yeah. So were there any challenges when you took a product online? See, uh, e-commerce is a very vast space. Mm. Third-party aggregators. Now in the food industry, there are two types of e-commerce that we are talking about. One are the modern e-commerce spaces, which are the large market spaces like your Amazon or your big baskets. And the second is your Zomatos and your Swiggies. Both have their own equal challenges. But the common challenge for a newer brand is uh, to be lost in their entire interface. They all say that their search engines are organic and uh, that the client will be able to see visibility of your brand if it falls into that particular category. But I have realized that the way their backends work, until and unless you have a fair amount of budget to be able to put into them, yeah. you will not be able to have organic visibility. Of course, uh, getting yourself listed onto these portals itself is a big challenge <laughs> because there are so many people who are wanting to list themselves on a Zomato or an Amazon. There are, even though e-commerce is supposed to eliminate the intermediary or the middleman, and it's supposed to be direct, right? Because that's what e-commerce is all direct. about. But in fact, it is adding more middlemen into the entire process where we have logistic partners or we have stockists or we have Amazon-based distributors. It's, it's making the system more heavy, especially because it was not originally supposed to make it heavy. It was supposed to eliminate the middleman and hence the, the portal or the e-commerce platform that is selling your product has based their entire systems on high margins. Mm -hmm. So if you are giving them the high margins along with the marketing spends for a new brand where you might not have those many kind of resources, apart from that, you do have middlemen also into the system. Then I don't really think getting onto larger e-commerce platforms in the start would be very affordable for the brand. I still feel and believe that personal and human touch or the human word in making a buying decision holds maximum value and weightage till date. 100%. How many ever TV commercials or online ads you give, a word of mouth from a friend will always make you have a better buying decision. So for smaller brands or for startups or people who are just trying to test or try the product or have less resources at their end, try to build a ready customer base before shifting on to an e-commerce platform and shift your entire customer basis buying onto that platform so that you get an initial sale also rather than sitting and twiddling your thumbs that because you'll be the only person who's searching your brand because nobody else is going to search for your brand in that sea of products Correct. which is there because, uh, because their algorithms do not allow for a brand which is less searched for mm -hmm. not uh easily visible on the SEO or the SMO gambit of the GDNs and the Google display networks, if I'm trying to be too technical out here. But you know how that is. Absolutely. It does uh, reduce uh, 
physical barriers, geographical barriers, because it's at the touch of a button, then anybody can be able to see it. But uh, if you have a ready database of clients who you can shift to out there so that their algorithm starts working in your favor, then great. Otherwise, you will have to have a good amount of resources with you to go in for their paper clicks or their visibility. When you uh, went to retail, did you have to do sampling to get the ball rolling? Yes, I think um, three things have worked in our favor. One, as you said, is sampling. Uh, we have to have promoters standing at the store levels to give the client a taste of what they are eating, especially because in my kind of a product, we were trying and we are trying to sell the same product that is available for 70 or 80 rupees perceptionally. Of course, we know the difference that we are giving, but for the client, a bottle is a bottle. You know, they are comparing like to like. They're like, why is this for 70 bucks and why is this for 200? So you have to give the client a taste. You know, I used to always go abroad to all these malls and I used to be like, why are, why are, do all these big brands, you know, in the mm. perfume alleys, mm. uh, have so many promoters who are standing out there? And wouldn't like a Dior be able to sell by itself? Why does it need to have all these ladies who are standing and calling mm. you? So doesn't it, it reduce the credibility of the brand when you are trying to upsell mm. it so much? Mm. But that is the practical thing. So one, definitely having a good sampling to having a personal touch out there via the way of promoters, not just having your samples put out there on the counter for anybody to come and pick it up. And three, to be able to make the people who are selling out there be interested in your product, the storekeeper or the store owner in terms of a regular Kirana or a general store or Maybe if you're looking at a chain like a nature's basket or something, the top level people are not interested. Who is selling your brand is that salesman who is standing out there at that sauce aisle, at that you know perishable aisle. You have to influence him. You have to make sure that he is endorsing the product in whatever way that you can influence him. But he has to, uh, like if I am going and doing my Kirana shopping, now I am not going to do my Kirana shopping, My I call. Mm. I will call the person yeah. who has my account and uh, I make him write the entire thing. I also don't make him write. I tell my staff, I'm like, lo or jaake mm -hmm. leka raja. Mm -hmm. Then how am I supposed to reach me as a client? Correct. So in those cases, then you have a different set of marketing for the home client where you know that a person who buys above X amount of groceries per month will be able to afford this. And so you give those out as samplers because I am not that client who's entering the stores, but I am my own TG. Exactly. So uh, there, there will be, uh, it has to be uh, broken down into a lot of different scenarios and then try to derive and decide as to which consumer will respond to which marketing or promotional activity. It's I'm very glad you touched upon uh, TG because many times brands fail because they think in their mind, oh, this is my TG. But while in reality, it's completely different. And when there's this disconnect, because you're trying to sell here, but this is the person who's buying, or you're trying to sell here, but this is the actual client. But if you, you misalign that, you, you land up wasting a lot of money, you land up wasting a lot of time. Right. I'm very glad that you got the TG right. Hey, if I am my own TG, how do I reach me? So maybe sending free samples when home deliveries are going or whatever, right? Once there are certain about this thing. Uh, 
when you onboard somebody within your organization what do you look for in them a team member <clears throat> i have a little bit of an unconventional approach when it that's comes to this that's what i want this. to hear i don't want to hear the what's your five year plan approach i, I want to hear the unconventional ones i strictly look for loyalty in a person i am okay if the person is not as experienced the job will train we invest in a lot of training activities for our people we have a lot of hr activities that we have ongoing not just for their iqs but their eqs as well because i am a strong endorser that uh, a stable mind will be able to create big wonders for you if i feel that the person has the patience in them to be able to go through with me and the company even if they are not super duper experienced for the job i will hire that person i want to tell you a story when i started out from home the sauce uh, thing with white light mm. the first call that i made was to this vfast guy i booked my clients gave me the order i said abhi one one vfast i will have to do mm. i have 150 orders for the day how do i go ahead and book 150 vfast so the first order that i booked this vfast rider comes and his name is rahul he's a part of my team now but i'll tell you the story <laughs> and uh, i'll go down to give it to him and he said madam agar aapko aur deliveries chahiye to main roz aa jaunga so i said listen why don't we cancel this on the app and i'll give you 10 deliveries now of this particular <laughs> area and ja, you ha, just go ahead and ha, do it and i'll give you this ha, much money per ha, delivery ha. he said okay so he started doing deliveries for me twice a day and he stopped everything else once the pandemic got over i made him join my team full time today he handles we had a big uh, deutsche bank event that we did we catered to the, their annual employee day across five locations and he spearheaded the team he not only knows now how to handle the product but he can also service the clients out there he started out as a rider and uh, not very prolific in his outlook but uh, i know for a fact that he will stay with me he'll go ahead with me that's what i i i see in people the intention to be able to stick and stand by the company and of course i'm standing for them as well through thick and thin i will make sure that i manage them fine but their professional resumes are probably the last on my criteria if they are good as team members if they have a cool enough head if they are able to fire fight out of situations if they are proactive enough rather than reactive as people if they can bring to the table what i can't bring to the table then probably my interactions with them while hiring are more personal fantastic uh what is the piece of last piece of advice you would want to give somebody who's entering business food business or business in general my father tells me this <clears throat> he says there are three rules of doing a business sounds very idealistic and very larger than life but on ground this is what holds true one is of course you have to work hard there is no shortcut to working hard how many ever people that you employ or how much ever technologically advanced your business is 
that I don't by working hard I don't mean the number of hours that you put in some people think that to work till 12 o'clock in the night is working hard no it can be a sign of inefficiency also that you're not being able to Absolutely. balance things out for yourself work hard as in at least for the time that you are working make sure that you are true to what you are doing do the same thing consistently every day to be able to get that result like it's it's like going to the gym you're not going to get that result out of two hours of a workout you have to do that 45 minutes of a workout every single day or thrice a week consistently for for one year or one and a half year to be able to get those results so yes one is working hard second is integrity i feel whoever deals with you in business has to leave with a good impression whether they are working with you once or they are working with you 10 times goodwill goes a very very long way when you want to build yourself or your business you stand for your people your business stands for you it's vice versa so uh, be honest in your dealings short term successes are very menial in terms of long term goals so try to have that bifurcation between the two and you know my my father says in hindi he's like apne aap ko jhok do business ke andar ki tumko aur kuch nahi dikhe then you will be able to build something and of course that doesn't mean that you stop going home and stop looking at your family but at one point of time i feel women are better at multitasking than men yes 100% but even if we are good multitaskers your key priority of focus at times in your life can be only one have your horse blinkers make it your aim whether you fail or whether you succeed that is uh irrespective and that has a lot of factors involved to it not just your personal efficiency and definitely uh hire good people people so, resources i like the the first one i've heard third one i've heard but when you're talking about the second one personal integrity uh, a quote comes to my mind it says that when you're doing business on life or relationships think in decades not days when you think in decades you don't want to you know swindle somebody and make a quick buck today yeah cuz in the long run your name is going to get spoiled nobody is going to want to do business with you that person to you've lost as a contact but yeah. that word starts spreading because that's how you become the minute you start thinking in decades for your organization for your relationships family whatever it is the way you operate changes completely automatically your visions become a little bigger you start developing more patience because you know and as you correctly said earlier that hey i want to create a business that hopefully my kids would want to be a part of they should want to be a part of it i shouldn't have to be like oh you have to work in the business create an aspiration or create something so aspirational that they would be proud to be a part of it not there's not a gun on their head that they have to be a part of it true but at the same time probably also create a business and if they don't join it's fine it's fine it will yeah, grow it will be it will do its thing but also have place for them because see if you're going to integrate kids family members in your business there has to be space in the business for them if it's not then it can be a you know misfit thank you for sharing uh, so many lovely lessons uh, I, i'm never going to forget how you named your company i think that that one's going to stick with me for a very long time and uh, the, but the what i love about these conversations is no matter how many people i meet i always have with each person some story that you know stays with me for uh, a long time two i always have a lesson that i learn from them that stays with me for a long time right and uh, that, that's the main reason i do these there's no commercial value in these podcasts right we don't monetize the videos or anything that way there's no there's no commercial that run the video uh, there's nothing that we're selling 
but it's that personal learning because that compounding of that learning is so valuable for me and a lot of the people who watch this comment back on that they're like hey i learned this thing from this you know video that you saw and i applied it here so i, I always sign off all the videos by saying hey guys you've spent half an hour 45 minutes an hour looking at this video i'm hoping you learned one new thing please apply this in your life and hopefully write back to me saying hey i learned this thing and this is the impact that we had right. uh, uh, the interview before this i spoke to somebody and uh, he was telling me about he's working on creating a software that will allow you to track the impact you've left in people's lives very difficult problem to solve he solves difficult problems but he's like imagine if you're able to trace this down like okay you spoke to this person you gave him this idea and this person uses idea somewhere else or he told somebody who uses the idea whatever it is but if you're able to trace the origins of ideas and the impact you create it'll be mind boggling right so i'm hoping that these videos guys are adding a little bit of value you know she spent so much time telling you about her life she shared so many life lessons i'm hoping that you use this and you hope that you break some ceilings thanks a lot i'll see you guys in the next one